0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, the very first chapter. We've been parked here for the last couple of weeks. As we consider Christmas and the excitement that Christmas brings, you know, you look at a kid who's going through the store, you know, we were at the mall yesterday and there was a a group of people sitting down with trumpets and and, uh, trombones, clarinets, and they were just singing Christmas carols. And you could see, you know, the people just excited to hear the music. And it's an exciting time filled with hope and expectation and all of that. But I'm mindful that around this time of year, it's also a time of great depression. It's a time of great hopelessness. There's many people who do not have hope and do not experience hope during this season. And so this season is a sore point to them. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the the excitement that we can share through God's word, looking at what the Apostle John wrote through the first chapter When he was really talking about the coming of hope, the the entering in of hope, which is Jesus Christ, the word of God. Over these last couple of weeks, we've explored the reality of who he is. We've talked about witnessing him coming and what we do in sharing that hope with others. We've been looking that he was there before the beginning of time. He is the word of God. He is God himself, preexistent, not created, always present, powerful, genuine, the true light in which there is no shifting. There is uh, you know, no, no falsehood in. He is the one which we can depend upon. We've been looking at all all these concepts. And today, I want us to just explore a little further some of the hope that we get to experience. See, I feel like in this world, there's a lot of folks who, you know, experience hopelessness because they think some faulty things and concerns in relation to God. There's a number of lies that the world would want us to believe. And I was considering a couple of them, especially as it comes to this time of year. Some people would say that God, if he exists at all, he's not really interested in you. You see that theme kind of poured out in movies and in pop culture and different things. Uh, God, if he exists, he's not really interested in you. And secondly, if he exists at all, he and he does love you, well, his love is conditional. His love is based on something. It's based on maybe your appearance or maybe your position or your performance in life. It's based on a condition. And our world wants to question these things. I feel some people, as they come into this season, yeah, it's all the hoopla and excitement and all of that, but they miss the reality that, yes, there is a God who existed as John has been talking to us about, that he does care for us. And I feel like this passage, these next couple of texts, these verses, will counter these arguments and these lies that the world tries to, to, to put together and And dictate to us and proclaim to us. Our text begins in John chapter 1 verse 9. If you're there, say amen. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to come into awareness. To respond and react, to acclimate and accept, accommodate within our lives, Lord Jesus, the reality of your word. In your precious name, amen. I want to squash it right from the get-go. When the world says that God, if he exists at all, is not interested in us. That's a lie that this Christmas season you have to realize some people are experiencing. If God does exist at all and he does, in fact, care about us, if he's interested, well, he's only interested through conditions. And because there are conditions, there are means and opportunities by which you may lose his interest in you. If I am reading this text, I've got my proof in the pudding, right here, that that is a square lie. It is is a blatant, oblivious. It is clearly a lie. See, if God appeared in the flesh, if he appeared in human flesh, if God stepped into humanity, then that by default means that he is interested in mankind. If he decided to step into the neighborhood... That means that he is interested in mankind because he had no reason or necessity to do so of his own. God does not need to save humanity. He chooses to do so. God has no necessity. It's not part of his existence. He will not be less than. He will not be unfulfilled. He cannot continue to exist without our existence. He is self-existent, as we've been talking about all throughout this series here. If God stepped in, having no reason to invade human history, if he came to us in the flesh, as this passage tells us, then he clearly loves Humankind. But it is extremely obvious if you read this because of a specific reality that John proclaims. He says that he gives those who receive him the right to become children of God. That right, that nuance, cancels out every single lie that God is not interested in us. For he did not have to do that either. The first question that comes to my mind as I'm considering this text, God stepping in, the word becoming flesh, the, flesh exi- the word existing since the beginning, creating everything, having its being in and through and for, and all of this incredible theology that's here. If I consider this, the question that comes to my mind is, who has he given the opportunity to become a child of God? And with a resounding answer, we can say through this text, the word is everyone. Everyone has the opportunity. Everyone has the privilege. Everyone has a chance to become a child of God. Everyone has an opportunity to witness and experience the fact that God, in fact, does love us and is interested in us, every person. Tell your neighbor, everyone. Now tell the one that you did not want to talk to just a second ago, turn to your other neighbor and say, that's you too. Everyone. Everyone. The answer is resounding. Each of us, any of us can become a child of God. God has made an offer and extended it to all of mankind. For the text tells us in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But, don't you just love it when the scriptures inserts that interjection right there, that little three-letter word, but, Especially when Scripture introduces that little word after a whole bunch of negatives. He says, nobody received him. Nobody accepted him. But all who will receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Your invitation is a blanket invitation. God simply extended a blanket invitation to anyone who would receive him. Anybody. Anybody. It's not based upon your performance, it's not based upon any of your skills, it is not based upon your body and your appearance, it's not based upon your relationships. He has extended an invitation and it has nothing to do with how much money you have and it has nothing to do with who your family is. He has extended an invitation simply because he chose to do so. He has chosen to extend an invitation to you. It has nothing to do with anything other than his love. Your invitation to be a child of God is not based on what you know or who you know. It's not based upon you being rich or famous. It's not based upon you being influential or powerful. It's not based upon you being artistic or intellectual. It's not based on anything other than the fact that God has invited you to be his child. He's made the invitation, not on your worthiness, but his alone. God has reached out to us. That is the beauty of Christmas, the Advent season, every December. The beauty is that God has reached out to us, inviting us, not based on anything else but himself. And then he gives us a choice. See, the choice is clearly in this scripture. That's what this text is teaching us. It's telling us that we have a choice. God is not willing to force any person to come into the reality of being a child of God. He's not a, a dictator who says this way or the highway and period. He de- declares that there is life and there is death. And he gives us a choice to believe, to receive, to experience him. We all have a chance to say, I don't believe in Jesus. I do not receive him. God gives us a choice. And so the reality of this text, if I can be very clear, even though we're sitting here on a Sunday morning, speaking to people who probably know Jesus, those of you who've heard of his name and ex- encountered him, maybe there might be a person here who's never heard of the name Jesus Christ. But let me just be very basic today. As we stand, sit here today, and hear God's word, it is very clear that the world is divided into two different people groups. There are many personality types. There are many assessments that you can take and find out how many giftings and skills you are and how you're wired and all of that wonderful stuff. But in the economy of God, if I look at this text, there's two classes of people. There are those who receive him and those who reject him. That's all it is. Now, the world philosophically would try to interject the third option. Some would claim agnosticism. Some would say, I'm agnostic. You know what? I'm just not sure. I'm not convinced that the evidence says that there is a God. Maybe there is a God. Maybe there isn't a God. And so can you withhold your judgment? Can you just keep your judgment to yourself and let me skate on through and pass on by because I'm not quite too sure. That's the position that this third group would put out before us. But let me just ask you something pragmatically. Just logically speaking, if you're not sure about something, doesn't that mean by default that you reject it? You know, I see that every person in this pew, even though these are in this sanctuary, these lights are really bright, all of you guys are sitting down. Now, you guys, when you came into this uh, sanctuary, did you wonder whether the pew was going to hold up your weight today? Maybe you're sitting in a pew and it's just you. We have to listen to the message last week and make a change about that. That's number one. But number two, maybe you're looking at your row and there's more than just you. And there's a few people, your family members and friends and those other folks that you've seen in church are sitting in the same pew. Did you wonder, is this pew going to hold up the weight of myself and all these people today? Maybe some of you guys thought of it. I don't know. Maybe you did. But I'm assuming that if you decided that you weren't sure, at the very least, you would have tested that pew before you sat down. And if you were truly unsure after testing it, I'm sure that many of you would be standing right now because you just rejected the reality. You weren't sure. You, You do not trust in the possibility that this Pew will hold you up. And so for the sake of not falling on your backside and being embarrassed in a church service, you decided to stand. None of you did that. Or what about when you drive a junker or actually any car for that matter that you don't know? If you're a wise person, you're going to, before you start rolling down the road, you're going to test some things. The most important of which is you're going to make sure that the brakes of that car work. You're not going to want to find out whether the brakes of the car works and if it's shot or, or, or available and connected and working in proper order when you come to an intersection or the car in front of you slows down. That's not when you want to find out. You will reject that car. If you are unsure of that car, you you will not drive it. You'll find other means of transportation. And so if you're just not sure about a thing, if you're unsure of it, then that means you're making a decision. In essence, you are rejecting it. And so John is speaking and he, he's bringing in this reality that God is interested in humanity. He cares for he was the word in the beginning. He existed before it all. He stepped into the world, becoming flesh. He cares enough. John is bringing all this into their reality and he's saying, now you need to have a response. You need to respond to it. The beauty of Christmas is that it is a natural invitation for a response. We need to respond to something. Not Santa Claus and gift giving and the best gift and the ugly sweaters and all this other stuff. We are to respond to the person of Jesus Christ. The true light that came into the world and made his dwelling among us. There is no agnostic position. There's either acceptance or rejection. That's all it is. Scripture makes it very clear here. And unfortunately, it also makes clear if we read the context of the word and we read other passages that a lot of the world is rejecting Jesus. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, the choice is ours today. The choice is for every person at Christmas time. You can choose to be a child of God or you can choose to reject God and be an orphan. That is the teaching of this text. The question is, how do we become a child of God? And John doesn't get into the details within this, these three verses. But he gives us glimpses and he gives us clues to it. And he elaborates down the road. The two conditions, the two clues for you to become a child of God, to experience hope at Christmas season and all throughout the year, is that you need to receive and believe. You receive and believe in his name. Can someone say amen? Receiving him, receiving Jesus, what does that mean? Simply, as we come into this service and prepare for Christmas, what does receiving Jesus mean? When Jesus offers himself to you, how do you engage him? That might be the simplest way for you to consider it and contemplate receiving Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up and offers himself to you, do you welcome him into your life for what he is? See, when he comes as Savior, you welcome him as your Savior. You welcome his salvation. When he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. When he comes to you as protector, you welcome his protection. When he comes to you as the great provider, you welcome his provision. When he comes to you as a leader, you welcome his leadership. When he comes to you as the authority figure, you welcome his authority. When he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. To receive Jesus is to receive him for who he is and for what he is and for what he demands of your life. See, many people experience Jesus as the nativity scene in their house or um, they might you know, talk about Jesus Christ and how they've experienced him or accepted him in their lives. And, and that's great, it's important. But let me just tell you, there is no peaceful coexistence with Christ, which has no claims over your life. There is no peaceful coexistence. As if we could invite him and relegate Jesus into a corner of our house and then say, Hey, I'll grant you audience every time I'm going to sit down at a table to eat some food. You have a few minutes, you got your window, have your opportunity, and then go back into your room, Jesus Christ. To receive Jesus is not to say, hey, you can come into my life, in my house, in my family, in my walk of life, in my work, and 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 my hobbies and my attitudes. You can come in, you can stay as long as you want, but please keep your music down. <laughs> to receive Jesus Christ is to become a child of God, is to receive him in the manner where he comes in. For everything he is, everything he's done, everything he claims, everything that he demands, that is receiving Jesus Christ. To receive him in this manner is what John is saying. Enters you into the right of becoming a child of God. But you have to also believe in his name. This Christmas season, as men and women are experiencing hopelessness, pain, distraught, they're they're looking at their lives and maybe it's a mess. Maybe there's people going through divorce and going through challenges, going through impossibilities, layoffs and sicknesses, diseases. Uh, They might be going through just challenges and setbacks, whatever it may be. There is real hope that's available when we tell them, God has invited you to become his child, The one who was and is and will always be, who has everything within his control, has invited you into relationship with you. He wants to adopt you. You have the privilege and opportunity to say to them, it begins. This newfound relationship begins with you just receiving him for who he is. And it requires you to believe in his name. John is not going to expound what it means right here. However, if you look at this expression, believe in his name, he used it five different times in his letters and writings. He speaks about it, for instance, in, in John two twenty three. he says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. In John chapter 2, the apostle was expressing that people who watched Jesus understood that the things that he was doing, the things that he was saying, the miracles he was performing, all of that pointed to something beyond a carpenter's son. It pointed beyond just Jesus, the man. It pointed to more than simply a person. But it pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the one who was to be sent of God. He was the expected one. Therefore, they began to view him as he truly deserves to be seen, as the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. Now, believing in Jesus is more than just receiving him, isn't it? How many of you have received guests into your house before? Anybody? You've had a guest stay at your house. You've made a space for them in there. You've accommodated them into your routine and into your family for a season or a period of time. See, you could receive a great friend. You could receive a great teacher into your home. For instance, if if you were to receive the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, into your house, If he was so inclined to mentor you and to come into your house and spend a season with you and abide there with you, and and he decided, hey, I'm going to coach you, and you were willing and interested, you know, all those parameters need to be in place, right? But if you were to receive him into your house, you could accept all of his tips and all of his coaching and all of his instructions on how to develop a successful online business, of which I believe he's done quite well by the world's standards, right? You could follow all of the instructions to a T. You could do all of that without ever believing anything other than he's a really smart, successful man. It's all fine. Yet John says you have to receive and believe in him. You have to take it beyond merely understanding that Jesus Christ is a good person, a great teacher, that he was a gifted rabbi. You have to take it beyond and you have to believe in him. As John says in verse 18 of chapter 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John begins to tie the knots, tie the pieces together, and link things. That it's not just believing in the name, but it's believing in who that is at its core, the Son of God. John says in his first epistle, this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. He continues in First John to say, I write these things to you who believe in God, that you may know that you are and have that you have eternal life. It is not just simply about bringing a good moral teacher into your life living room, into your life. It's not about following the teachings of a great teacher, be that, as the world might say, Confucius or Buddha or whoever. It is rather believing and bringing the great moral teacher that stands above all other teachers, the one who is exceptionally above all else, who was and is and will forever be God. God. The Son of God, Jesus, who was the Word, who became the Word in the flesh. The revelation of God, the fullness of God revealed in the Son. It is believing in His name and acknowledging Him that He is who He says He is. He's done all He's claimed He He would do and He did. And that His truth as the Anointed One, the Son of God, is for you. Establishing, fulfilling a new reality in your life. He is the light of the world. He is the savior of the world. He is the savior of all mankind. He is the son of God. To believe in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the Christ. To believe in his name becomes to believe in the activity of God and actively accept the fact that God cares for me. That God is interested in me. Because if he was not, he would not have become the flesh. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, everything that he said, and everything that he is, everything that he's done, that is the one I believe in, the one I receive. It's not an edited, not a photo to be edited, not a movie to be edited, not a clip. Of, of, of B-roll camera film that you can change and twist, but everything that he declared, that is whom I believe. That is what John is saying. You want to become a child of God. When we begin to understand this, we understand the crucial nature and the aspect of God, that he is divine in his love, that he is divine love. We begin to understand the full richness of what he has reserved for us, and that brings hope at Christmas. The gift that you get, the thing you've been asking for, the thing you've been waiting for, it's going to lose its its luster. It's going to lose its, its, its value at one point in your life. But he's the gift that never loses his worth. He continues to be all that he was and all that he's declared to be. And we get to see revelations of the fullness of his reality each day that we encounter him as his child. To receive Christ and believe in his name is more than merely agreeing in our minds that something may be true. It means that we trust our eternity to him. We trust our entirety to him. We are willing to commit our lives to him and to live in a way that we know he has asked us to live. That is what it means to believe and to receive. Isn't it simple? He didn't ask us to to form um, a committee of great minds to be able to ascertain something or solve some issue. He didn't ask us to be able to to have the skills and the opportunities or the resources to be able to accomplish some great feat before this could happen. He just asked us, please receive me, believe in all that I am. That's it. That is the entry fee that is the beginnings of it isn't it wonderful that god has lowered the bar so simply down to a relationship now if john is speaking you know here and all throughout um His writings and explaining the beauty of the incarnation and Jesus stepping into the world. He talks about the reality of when that happens in our lives. There's an outcome. There is a a fruit and evidence. There is something that comes about in our lives that we experience as we become a child of God. There are markers. Let me just share a few with you, and we'll conclude our time today. But I I wanted you to just be aware of this simple reality. God is for us. He is intimately caring towards us, for he stepped into humanity. And he gave us something that he did not need to do, the right to become his child. What happens when we do this? What happens? We become a new creature, as the word tells us. What it means to be a child of God is that we are totally transformed. Things change in our lives. There's a shift that happens. There are consequences to that decision that are positive and wonderful that we get to experience. There's a change in life now. And you've probably heard this before, yet practically... What does it mean? Second Corinthians tells us that when we become a child of God, Paul says that anyone in Christ is a new creature. A new creature. The old life has passed away and the new life has come in. We have been made new. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you are made new. Somebody say that made new. We are made new. A transformation has begun in you. And this is the point that most of us need to reflect upon. Up until now, we've talked about things that we know in church. These are staples, core concepts. Receive Jesus. Believe in him. We've talked about these things. We talk about it every time the gospel message is proclaimed. Because that is the core of what he's expected of us. But when we become a child of God, everyone who's been given this opportunity... To become a child, we know that it is not the end becoming a child. It's only the beginning. Becoming a child of Christ is a beginning. It's like a parent who chooses to, to um, a family who chooses to adopt a child that, that's become orphaned. That child will come into a new home and now there will be new parameters and new rules and new relationships and new expectations that's given to that child that might be different than their home of origin. It is not because that child uh, you know, needs to fulfill those things in order to be part of this family. But it is, the reality is that that child has been added to the family because the parents has chosen to adopt them and bring them in. That is what establishes it. But what happens is now that they're there, the family says, this is not how you behave in this family. You are a child. You you, you are, you know, part. You are included. You have the hope and the privileges and the benefits of, of being part of this family. But now within this family, you also have a responsibility of living in this manner and fashion. Of representing us in this way. When we become a child of God, here's one marker that things have changed that we're made new. We have a new nature. When we become a child of God, it so dominates and transforms our being. Our whole life, our thought, our conduct, as we bec- it becomes essential to us this reality that we are identified as children of God. It becomes so important to us. We accept Jesus as our Savior when we are adopted into his family and then something new inside of us begins to change. Our essence, who we are at our core is different. There's a transformation that comes into our lives that we are truly children of God that we cannot and will not live outside of that reality and that definition any further. It's a new nature. This change in nature enables us to face the world in quite a different way, doesn't it? This new nature allows us to go through suffering and pain sorrow in a totally different way than when we used to be without him. This change in nature shifts everything within us where it changes us. And we can no longer fall back on the justifications for, you know what, that's just how I am. And that is who, don't you know who my parents were? Didn't, didn't you see my family? Haven't you met my spouse? Haven't you met my children? This is why I am the way I am. No, we don't fall back on those excuses. We do not um, excuse sin any further. A nature shift comes into us and we become new. The old sinful nature is slowly being eradicated and being replaced by the nature of God. When you become a child of God, there's a new nature, but then also there's a new relationship. You have a new relationship with God. Our relationship with God has changed dramatically by the work of his grace, by the work of his incredible grace. We've been taken off of God's enemy list and we've been put on his family list. Or maybe more theologically accurate, we have taken God out of our enemy list and put him into the core of what we value. There's a shift In relationship and how we connect with God is now different. We have been changed from people who are outside of his chosen people, outside of his family, outside of his covenant of grace, and we have stepped into the very reality of that grace. We've stepped into a new dynamic. We've been adopted into his family, regenerated and remade again in his image. We now have a different relationship with God, which enables us to boldly approach the throne of grace, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all the universe. And we can go before him and say, dad, help me. It's awesome when you can go and say, Dad, help me. As opposed to, hey, you, creator of the universe, the one who might strike me down, and I don't know if you're there or not there, and I have no way of relating with you. Can you maybe look out for me? No, you get to say, Dad, please. It's a different dynamic. When my son just looks at me and says, Daddy, please. There's a lot that is afforded to him and a lot that is given to him. There's a lot that has already been established and never a word has to be uttered. It's just there. You can go before the king of kings with an incredible expectation. Because he is your dad that he will respond. There's a change in relationship. We have a new relationship standing with God, and when we pray to him inside of the context of this relationship, that's when prayer becomes dynamic and exciting. When we become children of God, and we encounter God in that fashion, and we believe him and receive him in that way, that's when we can come to prayer with excitement and joy, and say, man, I'm excited to come before my father, because things are going to be different. When we don't know him as our father, we, we throw up a prayer and maybe, hopefully, God, could you maneuver and MacGyver us something in for me? But when we come to know him as our father, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who was and is and is to come, who knows the end from the beginning, who makes a way in the desert, who brings wholeness and healing creation out of nothing, There is an excitement to prayer. There is a joy to coming before him and being in his presence. We don't pray, oh, God, help us. We pray, hey, Dad. And something beautiful flows out of that. When we become children of God, there's a new nature in our hearts. There's a new relationship that we experience. There's also a new perspective that we get to enjoy. Becoming a child of God changes your perspective, church. See, when you are adopted into the family of God, when you encounter the love of God and it dwells within you, that love that permeates into your feelings, it permeates into your ideals, it permeates into your motives, it permeates into your attitudes, it comes and it takes hold of every single fiber of your being, and it can be best described as a brand new birth. It's a brand new birth. It changes the way we think about ourselves and we relate to others and we engage other people and the significance that we are searching for no longer resides on this and that and whatever. It resides in the reality that we're anchored in his love. It resides on that. It's grounded no longer on what we look like and and what we are and what we've done and what we make and how much we make and what we accomplish, how beautiful our voices and how great our giftings are. It's no longer anchored in any of that. It is anchored simply on the basis that he is good and he is for us. It's no longer anchored on the basis of all the good things which society imposes upon us. And by the way, that list is huge and always growing. And it's not possible to satisfy it. If you're trying to satisfy all the requirements of what society declares you to be significant and worthy, valuable, valuable, then reality check, friends, you're never going to measure up. But rather, if we start gaining our significance in the fact that God loves us and we are one of his children, how easy does it become to rest within his presence? It changes us to be childlike in submission. It changes our psyche. We gain a sense of power of independence from the circumstances of life although i may be going we can say like daniel that i will praise god no matter what i'll pray to him three times a day in front of my window no matter if the king has made a decree i will praise the lord and not reject him and even though i go through the fiery furnace yet i will worship and we can change our perspective because we are anchored in the reality of relationship with the father It changes how we go about the world. It changes how we encounter our problems and our issues. It changes how we grieve. It changes everything. So we let go and we let God do his work and establish his truth within us. You know, something so simple, for instance, if you look at the standards of this world of what beauty is, we no longer define beauty by what, you know, the world dictates a proper BMI should be. And we don't say, I'm insignificant now because now I have a couple of extra love handles or I have an extra chin. I'm not promoting us to let go of ourselves and not take care of the temple of God. Listen to to the message we preached not too long ago about your body. But the reality is that our spouses will love us if they're doing what God has called them to do, whether that happens or it does not, because our perspective is anchored in him and what he declares to be good. He gives us a new nature, relationship, perspective, but he also gives us a new sense of morality. When we come to be a child of God, what is right and what is wrong, our perspective in that, it changes He helps us to become like the great moral teacher that we love and serve. God puts within us the ability where we can become the peacemakers, the forgivers, the seekers of righteousness. He puts within us a love and desire for a greater sense of morality, like it says in Philippians chapter 2, that we do all things without grumbling or disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We have a new sense of morality. We have a new... Basis for morality, not just instruction in it, but we get to live as the light of the world has come into the world. We live in conjunction with that light, impacting what is right and wrong around us. God changes many things when we become his children. This Christmas, the reality is this. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus, the arrival, the advent of Christ. When he stepped into the world, he brought hope with him. That hope is for us. It lives within us. We are carriers of that message. We witness that hope to others like John the Baptist did last week. We also have to come to the reality and the grips that we have a choice to make with the reality of his arrival. We weren't invited to be a child of God because we might be beautiful. You were not invited because you are beautiful, which I know you are. We're not invited because God has called us and given us a beautiful voice, which you may have giving you an incredible skill, which you may have. We're not invited to be a child of God because we are rich enough to own cattle on a thousand hills. We weren't called to be a child of God because of our goodness, but because of his. True light has come into the world. He is coming into the world every Christmas season for somebody The gift that always gives and changes everything is coming every Christmas season. We have an inbuilt invitation. Do you want to receive and believe him? You could do that or you could reject him. Those are the only two choices. He's come in as the light of the world, not because of who your parents are, not because of your own will, not because of anything that you have done, not because you are worthy, but because God alone is worthy and he chose to share his love with you. That message will preach every Christmas. That message will bring hope to any heart. That message will break down barriers and change perspectives if they truly grasp the reality of it. I'm going to invite the team to come up and we're going to spend some time just seeking the Lord because we have to respond to this text. The Puritans used to teach that adoption is greater. It's a greater privilege than even our justification. And frankly, I agree with them. Justification has placed us in the courtroom of judgment And because of the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, we are justified. We are declared righteous by God, who is the judge of all the universe. Righteous, not guilty, excused. However, because of God's great love for us, because of God's great love for humanity, he doesn't just tell us to go free. Go, you have been released. You are now released to be spiritual Orphans, homeless, but he takes us and he declares us to be his very own children. Adoption takes us from the courtroom and the street and it places us in God's house. Can someone say amen? Amen. We are given the rights and the privileges of children. We are given sonship status, daughter status, no longer aliens and outsiders and made part of God's family this God doesn't love me well let me just tell you he invites you to be his child you got a home you got a family, you got a purpose let me just tell you God invites you to be part of his he invites you to be part of his if that is not love, if that is not God caring for you, I don't know what would be he's invited you in He's invited you into a place where he can call himself your father and declare Jesus to be your brother. Receive and believe in his name to become a child of God. He's given you that right today, church. I don't know where you stand in your walk with Jesus. I know that many of you here in this place, we've come to hear this gospel message before. We've responded to it in some way, shape, or form. We've aligned our lives to him. We've made room for him within our hearts, within the context of our homes, our life, our lifestyle. We've given him the floor and the audience, or maybe we've at times relegated him to just a specific sphere of influence, whatever it may be. He gives you the opportunity today and every Christmas and every day for that matter to fully receive him and experience the fullness of who he is. The reality is that when he invites you to become his child that's the beginning a confession I have to make before you guys here today I've been wrestling with this idea of inviting people to pray a prayer and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior I will continue to do so but let me just tell you this I fail you if I just make that the entry point, the final point, the end destination. Because if I look at this book, Jesus says, Come follow me. Following is hard. Saying a prayer one time is easy. Saying it while we're together here and God is moving in our midst is easy. But he's inviting us into relationship, into a new nature, a new sense of morality, a new perspective. He is inviting us to more than just a simple prayer. You may say a prayer, and that might be the doorway, the entry point. You've decided to receive him, believe in who he is. But now the invitation is to walk with him. The reality is that Jesus Christ wants us to be modeling and exemplifying and experiencing what Paul said, that we are new creatures. The old is gone and the new has come. If we just accept Jesus Christ and we receive him and believe in him at one point, but there's no evidence that we're becoming more and more like him, that we are reflecting him more and more in our being, our words, our actions, our attitudes, our motives, our relationships, <clears throat> then have we truly received and believed? It's not a peaceful coexistence that he's calling us to, but it's an all-in attitude. Have your way in me, Jesus. Help me, change me, move me. Search me and know me, see me, help me. Dad, I need you. Today, I'm gonna invite you to just reflect. If you've never come to that prayer and you haven't begun a relationship with him, You've never had a chance to say to him, I will receive you. I will believe that you are the son of God. That Jesus, you came to take away the sins of the world. That you were the light in the beginning. You were with God. You were very God in essence. All that we've been preaching this month. If you've never had a chance today, do that. But I believe the majority of us in this place, we've made that decision at one point. My invitation for you is reflect. How do I look like? Am I made new? Am I being made new? Have I given up on the goal of becoming newer and newer and newer, more and more resembling my master and my savior? do my words this year look more like Jesus than they did last year. Have my engagements and my dinner side conversations at Thanksgiving and get-togethers with family have they become more and more evident to be saturated by the love of my father as a child of God? Have my interactions with my boss and my work coworkers in my workplace and the conversations at the water cooler, do those resemble more of my father? Are the causes that I'm defending aligned with more of the peacemaking he calls me to bring and fulfill? Here's the invitation, church. Whatever you've done, however you've measured up, The beauty is that it does not change his love for you. His concern for you is still the same. He did not turn back around and say, let me undo the fact that I came in, in the flesh and stepped into humanity. I care, I'm for you, you're still my child. We just behave a little different in this family. So come to me, my child. And let me help you do better. Let me help you extend that joy. Let me help you live in the privilege of the right you have been given. Can you stand with me? Father, I thank you for the simplicity that we receive you and believe in you. As we do so, Your Holy Spirit steps into our heart and our lives and it changes so many things. I invite you to speak into every heart this morning that which you alone could go and fulfill and say. In a room this size, with all these people, it is not I, Lord God, that ministers, but you. Lord, I pray that you would fulfill your word. And call out your truth inside of every heart. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. That Lord Jesus is strengthening and fulfilling every heart here today. I pray your blessing upon this people. I pray your grace upon each person here young and old, Lord, I call upon the hope of Christmas, the reality of being your child. That it would, Lord God, unlock, Lord Jesus, so many things inside of our lives. That it would, Lord God, shift so many of the cares and concerns that we are engaged with, Lord. That it would, Lord Jesus, cause a stirring inside of others, a yearning inside of those that we encounter. For we have the hope of eternity within us. I thank you and I give you glory. Amen.